Hello. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson. Phone number 877-973-7425. As I told you all, I'm, and my apologies to even the call screener. I I just, I got a lot to talk about. And, and this is the point where I should be taking all the calls because I don't want to talk about the story. Never wanted to talk about it. Sometimes you have to talk about the news you don't want to talk about. And this is one of those moments. The Texas House of Representatives has completed its report on the May 24th shooting in Uvalde, Texas at the elementary school. I'm just going to read to you from the Washington Post because it'll... Y'all, you, you, you know, you sometimes you, you, you get these stories and you got to do your diligence on them. You've got to cover them for people. It's not the stuff you and I want to talk about. I, I um, remember a, a very dear friend of mine who did research in radio topics of what radio stations should and should not cover. You know, one of the topics that was in the news every day that radio stations and TV stations and newspapers, even though it was in the national news, the locally, local news, local radio, local TV didn't cover the opioid crisis. National news stories. CNN covered it. Fox covered it. MSNBC covered it. ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, NPR, the New York Times, USA Today. They all covered it. Local news, local media Rarely covered it. Do you know why? Because though it was big news and though the research showed it affected uh, well over half, well over half of households, it depressed people. It made them sad because everybody knew somebody who was impacted by the opioid crisis. Either they or their loved one or their friend or their friend's kid uh, was addicted or dead because of the opioid crisis. And when local media covered the story, the local media that spent time covering the story lost ratings. And the reason is because the story sucks. There is no good in it. There is no silver lining in it. There is nothing about that story anybody wants to, at a local level, pay attention to, particularly when you're focused on your community and the local houses in your community affected by the opioid crisis. The research was overwhelming. The research was compelling. And, and local news outlets around the country stopped covering it on a regular basis, stopped particularly covering the local impact of the story, despite it being a major story, because viewers, listeners, and readers were so upset about it and so impacted by it, it was too raw and people tuned out. Oh, I feel like that with this story. Let me just read you this. Oh, Lord, be with us. Nearly 400 local, state, and federal law enforcement officials, and I need to say that again. 400 local, state, and federal law enforcement officials were at the scene. Four hundred. 
91 of them were state troopers. 91 of the 400 law enforcement officials at the scene were state troopers. 400 local, state, and federal law enforcement officials, 91 of them state troopers, and quote, none of whom moved to lead the response. The school district police chief, Pedro Pete Arredondo, wrote its active shooter response plan and assigned himself as incident commander and did not follow the protocol he himself created. The report said it was not clear whether lives could have been saved with a swifter response, but it left open the possibility. Quote, the void of leadership could have contributed to the loss of life as injured victims waited over an hour for help and the attacker continued to sporadically fire his weapon. Rather than isolate blame to Arredondo, as Texas Department of Public Safety Director Stephen McCall had done after the shooting, the report cast a broader net of responsibility over the entire law enforcement on that tragic day, including including the Texas Department of Public Safety officials who were there, 91 of them. Again, direct read from the report. If y'all could feel my blood pressure right now, my gosh, that's not the report quote this is. Hundreds of responders from numerous law enforcement agencies, many of whom were better trained and better equipped than the school district police, quickly arrived at the scene. Those other responders, who also had training on active shooter response and the interrelation of law enforcement agencies, could have helped address the unfolding chaos. Yet in the crisis, no responder seized the initiative Other than the attacker, this report finds no villains in the investigation. There is no one to whom we can attribute malice or ill motives. Instead, we found systemic failures and egregious poor decision-making. The House committee interviewed three dozen people, reviewed all the audiovisual evidence, deposed everyone involved from the head of the Department of Public Safety for Texas to the 911 dispatcher to the school custodian to the local police chief. Uvalde police officers and the county sheriff resisted doing the depositions, but ultimately relented. The committee included Ava Guzman of the Texas Supreme Court, Democratic Representative Joe Moody. They held their interviews behind closed doors. 
and they stepped around pending criminal investigations. Their focus was to bring answers to the families. The report went beyond local law enforcement response to the school's security measures and lack of preparation. It cited a culture of non-compliance from school administrators who were unaware of unsafe, who were aware of unsafe practices, such as teachers routinely leaving doors unlocked or propping them open, the shortage of keys for exterior and interior entrances. The district implemented some security enhancements using state funds distributed in the wake of other school shootings. Those improvements, like a chain link fence erected around the building and video cameras, were not effective against the gunman. Poor internet and mobile coverage interfered with teachers receiving lockdown notifications and being able to report the attack to local police. Rob elementary personnel, such as teacher Arnolfo Rias, who survived, recalled no notification or alert. He had no time to hide students or react. The attacker was already inside the school. Keep in mind, the young man stood outside for 10 minutes shooting. There were 400 law enforcement officials there. And all these people died, some of them bleeding to death because no one stormed the room sooner. We've seen the video. The one officer who was on his cell phone was badly maligned. He was talking to his wife or texting with her. She was in the classroom shot and ultimately bled out and died because they didn't get to her in time. He tried to go in. The others detained him. Then were there were the officers making sure they had hand sanitizer on their hands. Among the first officers to arrive was Arredondo, who leads a team of six officers, along with the Uvalde Police SWAT commander, Eduardo Canales. The school's police chief failed to act as commander. He did not transfer the duty to anyone else. He himself wrote the plan, but he said he was just responding as a police officer, and so he didn't title himself. The report says Arredondo and other officers contended they were justified in treating the attacker as a barricaded subject rather than an active shooter because of a lack of visual confirmation of injuries or other information. But in the resulting chaos, no one collected critical information, such as whether anyone had survived the initial gunfire in order to make decisions. Instead of reassessing, they thought they had time. Three hundred seventy-six law enforcement agents at the scene. Three hundred seventy. Listen to this. This makes me want to vomit and cry. Three hundred seventy-six law enforcement officials at the scene, better equipped and better trained, could have stepped into the breach, and no one did. The 400 there, 376 of them were better equipped, better trained, and did not take control of the situation. While the report does not conclusively... While the report does not conclusively say lives could have been saved... Roland Gutierrez, Democratic state senator who represents Uvalde, 
said time was undoubtedly a factor. Had they waited five more minutes, Maya Zamora might not have been here. She's a still hospitalized 10-year-old survivor. Others, more likely than not, would have survived. Some died on the way to the hospital due to loss of blood. But were not rescued for over an hour. I'm a conservative. I'm a conservative because I believe we're all sinners and I want as few in charge of me as possible. I'm a conservative because I believe that the federal government should only do the things that the state government cannot do competently. And the state government should only do things that the local government cannot do competently because the government closest to me that does the most is the one that I can hold accountable the most. And here they all failed. The feds failed. The state failed. Local law enforcement failed. Every bit of the chain of command failed. Every bit of the aspects of federalism failed. 400 people on the scene, armed, could have stopped a guy. Over the weekend, one lone man ran into a fire and rescued children. I believe it was in Ohio. I think it was in Indiana. There was a shooter who got shot and killed before he could commit a mass shooting. There was another shooting where the killer successfully killed a few people before himself getting shot, but one was prevented by a lone gunman taking out the killer, American citizens. The government failed. We don't fail. The government failed. Americans are willing to rush in. We saw that in Uvalde, Texas. Americans were willing to rush in to stop, and the law enforcement officials at the federal, state, and local level stopped those Americans. This is a systemic failure from the federal government on down. And the problem here now, and the reason I make the point about me being a conservative is that there's no conservative response to this. There's no progressive response to this. There is not an ideological response to this. This is a failure of institutions from top to bottom. The only thing that saves us is us. And we as a people need to remember that. The Good Samaritans aren't coming unless we ourselves are the Good Samaritans. The people of Texas are going to have to relearn that lesson. And many of these police officers should resign. Folks, the signature hymn sheets from Bowling Branch are a bestseller for a reason. They use the highest quality threads on earth for a superior softness, a better night's sleep. The sheets are made with threads so luxurious, three U.S. presidents love them. They feel buttery to the touch. They're super breathable. Now, here's the thing. I can tell you this from personal experience. Every time you wash the sheets, they get softer. You know, people worry about thread counts for sheets. You need to worry about the quality of the threads. Bowling Branch uses fantastic ones. You can just feel them and they get softer and softer over time. They're very, very breathable for the summer, but they also have a good weight for the winter. They help you sleep well at night. They're not so light that you feel like nothing's on you. They 
They're they're the perfect weight. They're the perfect sheet from Bolin Branch. You'll immediately feel the difference with their iconic signature sheets. Right now, get 20% off site-wide during the annual summer event happening now only at BolinBranch.com. It's their best offer of the year before the holidays, so you need to act now. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com for 20% off site-wide phenomenal deal with phenomenal product. I'm telling you, we use them in our house long before I was a broadcast reader. We use Bolin Branch. You should too. BolinBranch.com for 20% off site-wide. There are a bunch of blue checks on social media. Clearly, they've gotten some talking points from some group uh, because they're all putting out almost word-for-word identically the same tweet of 400 police officers couldn't go into the Uvalde Elementary School and stop the shooter. What good is it to arm the teachers? What happened in Uvalde is the exception, not the rule. Most police officers will storm in. Maybe we shouldn't be setting policy on it, but it's fascinating now that these people want to uh, prescribe some policy based on anecdote of an incident that is isolated, and we should not smear all law enforcement for the failures of some in Texas. But I have to tell you, I think it's another reminder. You are responsible for your own safety and security. There are no police officers in America who are going to be liable for failing to keep you safe. When you call 911 and the police officer doesn't show up, you better be prepared to take care of yourself. There's something else here, too. I was talking to a group over the weekend of of what can we, the people, do. And we, the people, I am more and more convinced on a daily basis that we are the arbiters and guarantors of our own liberty and our own safety and our own freedom. And that starts with our own backyard. If you don't know your local school board members or your local police chief or your local city councilman or your local county commissioners, you should. The government that's closest to you is the one that affects you the most on a daily basis, and it's the one you have the most say in, and you should know these people. And you should know where your local nonprofits are, where your local charities are, where your local food banks are, where your local um, if soup kitchens are, where your local battered women's shelters are so that you can help. Seek the welfare of the community in which you live. There you'll find your welfare. The words of God himself spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. There's a lot of wisdom there, whether you're a believer or not. There's a lot of wisdom. You're going to help yourself. People showed up in Uvalde, Texas to help, and they were turned away by law enforcement. And sometimes that's the case, but that's the exception, not the rule. Very often, the police don't want vigilantes. They do not want vigilantes. But if you're stepping in and you're helping, you're helping. And you're the arbiter of your safety and security and your liberty more than any government. And you got to take responsibility, all of us for ourselves, our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, and all of us in our local communities working for a better, better America, not relying on others. One of the ways that you can take care of yourself, your safety and your security right now is, is taking command of your portfolio. Take command of your retirement. Don't depend on your social security checks, whether they're going to be around or not. And with all this instability in the markets right now. You know the markets have been up and now they've gone into negative territory. You may want to reach out to my friends at Goldco and see if they can help you learn how to use precious metals to help ease out the ebbs and flows within uh, the stock market swings. If you call Goldco at 855-904-5933, you'll get a free wealth protection kit from them to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. 
Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Call my friends at Goldco. Find out how you qualify for their special offer. They've helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and stock market crashes, and they can help you. Text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. I'll send you their toll-free number. See if Goldco is a good fit for you for your retirement portfolio. Learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Hi there. How are you? It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I need to talk inside the house. I need to talk inside the house. What does that mean? Oftentimes, I'm very mindful um, of the demographics of this radio program. Uh, for some reason, I don't understand it really, what, why it has happened, but uh, the overwhelming majority of my listeners are conservatives, but I've also got a number of people who eavesdrop in from the left either to hate listen, and there are also some people on the right who hate listen. Uh, but then, and then there are a lot of people who just, they want to they listen and and figure out what conservatives are thinking. I often, uh, as a mindset for doing this program, fall back on the analysis of what's going on. Let me give you the news. Let me give you my analysis of what is happening, why something is happening, and then I'll tell you, give you my opinion as a fallback after I've kind of analyzed as objectively as I can, even with my biases, what's going on, tell you what I actually think about it. There are times, though, that I got to just speak to to my side of the aisle, to to my fellow conservatives. And the rest of you can eavesdrop in on it. But I need to talk to inside the house for a moment. I'm a little bothered by something. Now, this is not Ted Cruz's fault. He was asked a question and he was answered uh, about the Obergefell decision. Um, I agree with Ted Cruz that Obergefell was badly decided. And the reason it was badly decided is because it was decided under substantive due process. And I, like Clarence Thomas, I think substantive due process empowers judges, uh, predilections, whims, and biases, as opposed to being something in the Constitution. I think if the Supreme Court were to revisit the gay marriage decision that they would uh, affirm gay marriage, even the conservatives would, but through different avenues. Uh, primarily because uh, historically, when the court looks at rights that predated the Constitution, so for example, marriage is a right that predates the Constitution that is just affirmed by the Constitution. How do I know this? Well, no one who wrote the Constitution had to get remarried after the Constitution was ratified. Uh, marriages were already recognized. And marriage over time evolved. Uh, you know, um, mixed marriages were a thing all over the world except in the, the, the U.S. South. U.S. South was an anomaly. The Loving versus Virginia case that, that relied on substantive due process did not have to do that. Because historically, the United States uh, South was the only place on planet Earth that um, you couldn't have a mixed marriage. Europe had had mixed marriages since the 1800s, late 17, early 1800s. 
Uh, marriage evolved over time. Marriages do evolve over time. Uh, polygamy gave way to monogamy, which society, the democracy of the dead, as Chesterton would say, um, it, it made sense. That's the way you you raise a family. The most stable way to raise a family in society is a two-parent heterosexual household. But marriage evolved over time. And I think they would get to the point they say marriage has clearly evolved, uh, where it's not just um, heterosexual couples, but homosexual couples as well. And they could affirm that just through the Ninth Amendment. Uh, the the shape of rights do over time evolve. Even the originalists and the constitu- constitutional originalists agree with that. My problem with the Obergefell decision is so many states had passed amendments making same-sex marriage illegal constitutionally, and for the court to interject itself into a sphere where the court did not create marriage, did not define marriage, and was now trying to impose its will on America, the court should never have done that. They should have let it play out, much like abortion. They should have just let it play out. And eventually, what you would have had is a majority, if not all of the states, agree to allow gay marriage to go forward, but probably also would have protected in ways the court has not uh, religious dissidents. Uh, I am a Christian. My God says marriage is between a man and a woman, whether I think it otherwise or not. Uh, in my religion, uh, my God, who I believe is real, says no. But I don't want to impose my religious values on anyone else in that regard. And I have friends of mine who are gay and married. And uh, we agree to disagree on the issue, and I love them nonetheless. I think there was a way for us to move forward as a country, democratically, without the court imposing the view of Harvard Yard on all of us. That being said, and again, I'm talking in the House here. Now is really not the time to relitigate Obergefell. Three and a half months from midterm election. I don't think it was helpful uh, to to go down that line of reasoning. I'm not going to fault Clarence Thomas because Clarence Thomas is a justice who is not uh, in politics, who is not part of politics, and he raised legitimate issues with substantive due process, and I realize the left is picking that up. I just don't know that we need to continue on. And now I raised the gay marriage issue because uh, it was relevant. Ted Cruz was asked, asked an honest question, gave an honest answer. The left is turning that on us, but it should be a lesson on how we deal with abortion. One of the things that gets missed because of the media framing of abortion and because uh, Christian denominations are so active on the pro-life cause and most Christian denominations do not have female pastors. In fact, the ones that do uh, eventually uh, find their way outside of Christianity and into paganism. I mean, overwhelmingly, I'm I'm not making that up. You, You look at the majority of denominations out there that have embraced uh, female leads in churches and they wind up going post-Christian uh, back into paganism. The Unitarians, the Methodists, uh, the the PCUSA, uh, you, you, you name it, it just, it just happens. I mean, the Bible's kind of clear on who can lead churches and who can't. Now, whether you like it or not, the Bible says that about men in charge, just as men are supposed to be in charge of the household. The ladies, don't shoot me. I'm just, I'm, it's a theologically sound orthodox point. My point here is not to get into orthodoxy here. My point here is to say this, that uh, most of the world believes that men run the pro-life movement, but actually it's women. They think that because churches are so involved in most orthodox churches that are pro-life or churches run by men. They think that because in the media, the media is very careful to frame the discussion of abortion around men being pro-life and women being pro-abortion. I, for years when I was at CNN, if abortion came up, would decline to go on air and give the producers lists of the women in charge of the pro-life movement and say, rely on them. 
and they wouldn't. They'd find another man. It was all by design, intentionally, to make it look like a bunch of men wanted to come after a woman's uterus, which was not true. I mean, most of the women, I, I, I never, I won't say that. All I'm saying is that the leaders of the pro-life movement have overwhelmingly been women. Whether it's Kristen Hawkins with Students for Life, Marjorie Dannensfelder at uh, Susan B. Anthony, Charmaine Yost at uh, Americans United for Life over time, um, uh, Pity Nance. Uh, there are so many, um, and I'm going to leave some out, and I hate to, I hate to name names, um, but it is so many women who are um, in charge of the pro-life movement, and those women have been, I mean, Nellie Gray, for example, founded the March for Life. Gene Mancini now runs it. It is prominently women in charge. And here's my problem. And again, I'm talking in-house to the right right now. Is there a lot of, uh, I call them uh, bro theological conservatives? They're very boisterous online, very in your face. That They're very ragey on social media. And they've, they've, they've staked out the abolitionist position on abortion. The abolitionist position is the the logical end game of the pro-life movement for a lot of people, and that is that abortion should be banned in all cases, and any woman who has an abortion should go to jail. That is actually a minority position within the pro-life movement, but it is one of the loudest. And I would just say three and a half months before an election, when a lot of people are shaken up about Roe v. Wade going away and the media in nonstop hysteria, uh, it would help these people who are the abolitionists to just shut the hell up right now. It actually kind of infuriates me how aggressive some want to be on this issue right now uh, at a time where we're just, we, we won. Roe v. Wade is gone. There's no reason to be a brain biblical donkey about it at this moment. Exercise some humility as Christ compels you to do. Love your neighbor and just shut the hell up for just a moment, please. You're scaring the bejesus out of a lot of people, including a lot of pro-life women out there who didn't think, oh my gosh, we've run this movement, we've won, and now the bros are coming in and want to round up all the women and throw them in jail when actually we need to show compassion to all of them. I just, I look, I understand the abolitionist position. I do. I also understand most of the vocal ones are smart enough to know that now is not the time for performance on social media. Now is the time to actually let this settle down, take the win, and see the path forward. SBA Pro-Life America, Susan B. Anthony Group, Marjorie Dannensfelder, and Marilyn Musgrave are two of the heroes of the pro-life movement. They are two great Americans and were I president, they would be recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, what they have done for the pro-life movement. They've sent a memo to GOP lawmakers on how to address the hostility about abortion right now. And a lot of the pro-life abolitionists out there could take a lesson from this. First of all, 
There should be a federal 15-week abortion ban. It is overwhelmingly popular with about 75% of Americans agreeing that after 15 weeks, unless uh, the life of the mother is in jeopardy, you can have uh, an abortion ban. They want Republicans to rally around, quote, the most ambitious legislation that can achieve consensus instead of splitting up in in 15 bajillion ways. There are some abolitionists who believe that abortion in all cases, including the life of the mother, should be banned. If God wants you to die, you're going to die. That's their view. That is not my view, by the way. I'm actually fine with a rape exception, and I'm fine with a rape exception uh, for a lot of reasons, one of which is I think it is uh, when we're doing the cost-benefit analysis in society, of whose life is valuable. Yes, we recognize the child's life is valuable, but also we recognize telling a woman who has been violently raped that she must carry a child to term that she did not want. It's probably not a smart thing for society to do, particularly when we look at mental health and rates of suicide in this country. Maybe they won't, and we should encourage them not to. And this gets a lot of people mad at me for saying this uh, on the right. But I just, I'm I'm okay with the rape exception. I get it. I think you got to be careful not to overplay your hand. Republicans are going to win back the House representatives. They're probably going to win back the Senate. I think allowing the loudest, angriest voices of the abolitionist movement of the right to say we now need to throw women in jail who want to have an abortion uh, could cost us all of that. There are times to have these conversations and to chart our way forward. And I'm sympathetic to the idea of if you ban abortion, somebody needs to be punished for having the abortion. But as the doctor, as the woman, these are conversations to have. But one, yes, uh, I I fully recognize, I admit it, it is a political calculation that three and a half months before an election is not the time for the bro theocons on social media to be saying, round up the women and throw them in jail. It's not the time to be saying, yep, uh, we need to revisit Obergefell and, and now cancel the marriage that you paid a lot for for the ceremony. There's a time and place to have discussions, and now is not that time. But also, but also, when the time does come, I would caution a lot of my friends with whom I have a lot of sympathy that, like with the left, they're in a bubble. And a lot of the things they think on transgenderism and and the like, they think that they are in the majority because their bubble and the media within their bubble tells them they're, they're in the majority and they're on the cause of righteousness. A lot of you are in a bubble as well, and you think not only are you right, but everyone agrees with you. And oftentimes, that's where you find the backlash. There are paths forward to affirm the end of Roe to support the pro-life cause and to support traditional marriage and protections for people of faith who don't want to go along with the world's hedonism. But there's also a backlash if you overplay your hand. And I would tell you that being a jerk on social media about these things and being so intrinsically dogmatic that your views lack any sort of compassion to the circumstances of the people who are actually involved, who actually can cast votes, as opposed to the unborn child who has no vote until they're 18 years old, would tell you this will come back to haunt you and me and undermine every hard-fought gain we got if you're going to be a biblical brain donkey about it with everybody, there's a time and a place. And now is not the time or the place to be a jerk about these issues when emotions are raw, but also the path forward is completely divided and unknown on your own side. An organization that is helping to chart the path forward and find some good ground is Patriot Mobile. 
They want you as a customer. Uh, they actually are actively involved with the pro-life cause, and they're actively involved with the Second Amendment cause, and they would love to have you as a customer to grow their profits because if they grow their profits, then they give a portion of their profits to the pro-life cause and the Second Amendment cause and veterans, first responders, conservative candidates around the country. I can't recommend them enough. You get great world-class cell phone service. They use the same cell towers everybody else uses. You can port your existing phone number over or get a new phone number from them if you want. I've got an existing phone from at and I've also got one from Patriot Mobile. Uh, they use different cell towers for my Patriot Mobile one, and I can just tell the service is different in places. Uh, but it's never worse than what I have from my main phone. And in some cases, particularly in rural parts of Georgia, it's better. You can go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric and get free activation. If you have an unlocked phone, you can even bring it over. Patriotmobile.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You can also call them if you want to, don't want to do it online, but want to do it on phone. Go to uh, 972-PATRIOT. That's their phone number, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. More importantly, they got 100% U.S.-based customer service, and they give fantastic discounts. If you're a veteran, first responder, a teacher, an NRA member, you'll get a discount. If you have a large family with lots of lines for all your kids, you get discounts. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. I just, uh, where does this guy get off? Uh, I don't know if y'all have heard any of this. This is Harry Wales. I'm a time of global uncertainty and division when it's all too easy to look around and feel anger or despair. I've been inspired to go back to Mandela's writings for insight into how this could be how he could experience so much darkness and always manage to find the light. There I found a few lines that stopped me in my tracks. And this has been a painful year in a painful decade. We're living through a pandemic that continues to ravage communities in every corner of the globe. Climate change wreaking havoc on our planet with the most vulnerable suffering most of all. The few weaponizing lies and disinformation at the expense of the many. And from the horrific war in Ukraine to the rolling back of constitutional rights here in the United States, we are witnessing a global assault on democracy and freedom. The rolling back of constitutional rights in the United States, says a British prince. My buddy Chip Roy in Congress has pulled up a great clip from Braveheart and replied to the clip of Prince Harry with this one. Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? <laughs> that was an actual King of England to his son in Braveheart. Um, as opposed to Harry, a would-be prince, no more, now a duke. Uh, who the hell is he to lecture us on anything? I've said that word too many times today. I apologize. It offends some people. I shouldn't say H-E double hockey sticks. Heck, who the heck is Harry Wales to lecture any of us? A uh, privileged kid born with a silver spoon in his mouth uh, who's trying to find his way in the world because he walked away from not just the privileges of his life, but the responsibility of his wife. Uh, why should we take him seriously on anything when he couldn't man up for the responsibilities of his life? And now he wants to come over here and lecture Americans. No, no, no. We fought a war, so we do not have to listen to that kid. I would just how insulting. Uh, go home, Harry. You're not welcome here.